Okay. Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast but pleasant day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Paul Newisham, Managing Director of the RFM Group. RFM Group is a multifaceted accountancy firm headquartered in Preston. Paul, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? What does the word what? Leader mean to me? So, um, yes. Well, the word leader at the end of the day is um, you know, somebody who's ultimately uh, responsible for uh, running an entity, whether it be a company or an organization. Um, somebody who obviously sets the standards and the uh, also probably uh, determines the culture of any organization and, and how that organization is run. So that's how I would probably interpret the word um, leader. And what's your personal leadership style? My personal leadership style? Um, I'm not one who tends to uh, dwell on uh, titles, for example, you know, whether you're a manager or a board or a director. I think everybody within uh, the organization are equally as important as anybody else, whether it be you know, the first person that people greet in reception to... Um, you know, the partner kind of director level. Um, I very much give people um, freedom to do the job and take responsibilities. Um, and that way, you know, they become very much part of the organization rather than just being um, a small cog within that, uh, that, that, that company. So it's important um, to foster a collaborative uh, workspace so that you could have more uh, stakeholders within uh, the company. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Now, in your experience, did you have a leader in your uh, earlier career that really molded the way that you uh, lead today? No one in particular, to be honest. I think everybody you know, develops their own kind of style. Uh, as how they you know, tend to deal with people. And I always feel that, you know, like I said earlier, whoever you deal with, you should treat them exactly the same, whether, mm. you know, they're um, receptionist, manager, partner, whatever. Everybody's a human being and you should treat them the same. What's well, that respect that's important in a workplace? Yes, isn't respect it? is the word, sorry, that I was trying to look for. Yes. And there's, there's no room for pomposity in, in the offices there? No, no, there isn't. Now, if you had to choose objectively the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? The greatest leader? Yes. Um, that's probably a tough one because obviously there, you know, there are lots of different leaders and lots of different leaders have different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, well, probably something like Winston Churchill at the end of that. And of course, Churchill was noted for being able to bring all sides together when it came to the war effort. Um, what sort of uh, qualities uh, does Churchill's leadership uh, enable in people today? Um, well, that kind of leadership is very you know, important and probably one of the key things at the minute is obviously Brexit and people uh, and with people leaving uh, you know, the European community, you know, we've all got almost like a, uh, a blank piece of paper from 11 o'clock this evening mm-hmm. um, and it's 
very important that you know whoever is leading the, the country brings everybody together um, to work to one common kind of goal. Just a bit like what you know Churchill did in the war. Absolutely, and and for the listeners who ha- who haven't caught that, this is being recorded on the on the thirty first of January, uh, two thousand twenty. Uh, obviously, uh, there are major changes in store. But when it comes to the the realm of uh, finance, do you think much is going to stay the same? Will it stay the same? Sorry. Do you think much of finance will stay the same, or do you think there will be a sea change in your line of work? In my line of work, um, it possibly will be. Um, well, to give you an example, you know, in, in anticipation of Brexit, I have you know clients that don't just operate within the UK; they operate uh, and sell into Europe. Um, as a result of you know the possible changes with Brexit, I, I look for partners further afield. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually signed a cooperation agreement with a firm of uh, accountants and business advisors in the Far East called um, Dizan Shira, and they are based in um, largely in China, mm-hmm. but in Pakistan, India, all of the Far East kind of um, countries. And I did that with a view to uh, giving my clients um, almost like a, a tour guide in those countries if they needed to, you know, open, expand and develop into further markets. And so of course, business outside the European Union is going to be uh, even more uh, central to the economy going forward. Um, and it does show that uh, the, the buck doesn't stop uh, with the EU and there is a bright future uh, to be had. Um, however, do you find that some of your clients are uh, a bit trepidatious about uh, 11 p.m. tonight? Um, to be fair, a lot of the clients haven't really um, said a great deal. I think a lot of people have been waiting to see what happens. Um, and obviously, you know, like I've said, things change at 11 o'clock and maybe, um, you know, they'll have more to say. But at this moment in time, I don't really have any particular clients, um, you know, changing anything anything material but that's you know largely due to you know the nature of my clients you know for example if I've got clients that are exporting you know they've got more significant changes and challenges that they've got to deal with now as terms of challenges you look after quite a, a large uh, amount of uh, staff and clients what are the biggest challenges in uh, making sure you have a, uh, a friendly and productive workforce the biggest challenges, I think the biggest challenges are um, almost keeping people or keeping everybody on board um, and working in the, you know, for the same common goal. Um, you know, as you said, there's only, you know, there's no I in the word team. And team is the important thing. We all should work together towards a common goal. And the challenge is to get people to do that. You know, you're always fine within any organisation. You know, there is the odd, for the want of a better word, terrorist who doesn't always want to, you know, tell the, the company line. But then again, if you can get that particular person on board and convert them, they normally become one of the, the company's best advocates. Mm-hmm. So the challenge is to, you know, get everybody to uh, understand what we are trying to do and work to a common uh, common goal. Now, do you find that younger people are looking to get into your field? 
Um, I think the actual number of people that are looking to get into, you know, the accountancy kind of business, it, it isn't as great as what it used to be. Um, you know, I used to find found that years and years ago you would get lots and lots of CVs from people leaving university looking for, you know, jobs and employment, and that has somewhat diminished. Um, but we've also expanded our offerings, so we aren't uh, just accountants, you know, we provide legal services, we provide consultancy, um, you know, we've got a mortgage uh, brokerage, so we've expanded our offering. So as a result of that, you know, we are attracting, um, you know, more younger people, but the normal accountancy business isn't attracting as many as what it did in the past, to be fair. And what advice would you give uh, a young secondary school student who's interested in going into the accountancy field? How would it work, right? What, what sort of advice would you give a young secondary school um, student who's interested in joining the accountancy field? I think if they're interested in going into the accountancy field, what I would suggest that they probably do is try and get a um, um, work placement to gain some experience of working in those offices because that's, in effect, what... I actually did. When I um, left school, I took um, some time out over the summer holidays and actually worked within an accounting practice to gain a feel as to what was involved. And then, you know, based on that, you know, made my decision to, you know, go into that particular field. Um, but I think the most important thing with anybody making any decision uh, as to what they want to do, they've got to enjoy that particular uh, job and that particular uh, career. Uh, because that's one that will probably share for the rest of the life. Well, unfortunately, one thing that we're lacking on at this moment is time. Uh, but before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for RFM Group? Uh, the next 12 months with the RFM Group, um, we're always looking to expand and bring on new offices, so that will continue. Um, we'll also look at expanding our services to you know, try and meet our clients. Uh, expectations and requirements. Um, you know, like I say, in respect of the cooperation agreements that we've developed, we'll probably expand on those. Um, and hopefully, you know, the next 12 months will be a continued period of um, growth and uh, expansion. Well, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking with you and uh, best of luck uh, to RFM Group and, uh, of course, to Hyde United uh, in the uh, in the coming 12 months. Uh, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope to have you on the podcast again soon. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. Goodbye. Bye. That was Paul Newisham, Managing Director of RFN Group. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me and realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. 
So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the colour of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. It was a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to 
be involved with my career in those early days were two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict for the time. You probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh... A, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that 
someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out now. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again the leadership that I'll show you, you got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it it is quite funny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe another time then, but we. um, uh, Well, you want me to tell you if you want, you've got time, I can tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a. at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, 
when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we... You've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. I, just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you laugh that put, day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps... Uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke, and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals, or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, 
and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back on an earlier earlier question for me, the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, 
you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure it's these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm. I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.